This is a saying from yeah. So in recovery, they talk about the root of the problem is obsession with self or, or self-centeredness or self-seeking. Yep. So there really couldn't be, the root of the problem couldn't be self because there isn't one in a way. But the obsession with self can be the problem. So let's say the selfing is really the activity of being obsessed with an imaginary object called the self. So it definitely obsession with self is the root of the problem. But you can't, it's not a self that you're obsessed with. You're obsessed with selfing. Yeah? The, um, everything being interpreted from a self-centered position by the mind. Yeah? So instead of the awareness being rooted in the conscious contact, is the, through going through the five gates of the senses, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling. And then in Buddhism, they talk about the mind as a sixth gate. So the mind sees, or let's say, hears thoughts. Yeah? Like uh, the ear would hear a note. You know what I mean? So just like an ear hears a note, the sound of the car, the mind hears, hears a thought in a way. And then that sound gets translated into conceptual form or language and you have an understanding of it. So, in a way, conscious contact is what's happening. Yeah, that's the basis of what's happening. And But what occurs is the mental process of selfing claims to be the one who's in conscious contact. Yeah? You become the center of life, called self-centeredness. Yeah? But it's a mental life. It's not actually what's going on but it's an interpretation about what's going on by the mind, yeah? Now that interpretation is presented and reinforced and uh, structured through the self-thing. So self-thing could be called, uh, be called obsession with self. It doesn't mean that the self is a real thing. It just means there's obsession with self, yeah? And so some aspects of, if, if the mind was obsessed with self, some aspects that you would... Uh, demonstrate in life would be self-centeredness, self-seeking, right? Self-hate. And if you look at the dictionary where they have the word self, it has a hyphen and they have about 80 or 100 different uh, adjectives in a sense or, or uh, qualities. Like, And I'd say maybe 12% of them are quote-unquote good and 88% of them are not good. So when you're living in that interpretation of self, your, your slant is going to be skewered, you know? It's going to be sort of more on the glass's half-half-empty side than the glass's half-full side. <laughs> and you'll be responsible for the glass being half-empty. That's the dilemma, because it's self-centeredness, yeah? So it's not really a clear observation, hey, the glass is half-empty. It's a very <laughs> distorted observation. What did I have to do with it being half-empty? Or what did you have to do with it being half-empty? So, because obsession with self doesn't mean you're just obsessed with the idea of you as a self, but as other, someone else as a self. Yeah. So, the quality of obsession is that you believe you're the doer, therefore others are the doer. So you can be done to by others, and you can see them as the source of your unhappiness. Yeah. Very easily because you feel believe you're the source of your, your unhappiness. So whatever is is whatever is applied to quote unquote this is also applied to that. Yeah. So the root of the problem is obsession with self. And in recovery, it says, "Hey, we're not people with problems." I think this is what it says. I hope so. <laughs> I could be wrong. 
haven't read the book in a while. But uh, it says, we are, we're not people with problems, but we are the problem. Yeah. Now, if you were the problem, there really wouldn't be a solution, would there? <laughs> if you were the problem, that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body would be a hopeless state of mind and body. But seemingly is a really important word. Check it out in the dictionary, because it's, it's in that forward in one of our editions of the big book. It says, we are a hundred men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Yeah? So, to who is it seemingly appearing to be, to who is it appearing to be hopeless? If you look at the word seemingly, it says, we're a hundred men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Where does the seemingly come from? It's either a hopeless state of mind or body, or it isn't a hopeless state of mind or body, right? It's either the glass is half full or half empty. It's either yes or no. But it's not the case. It's seemingly so. Now, the word seemingly, one of the definitions of seemingly is that it appears to be true or false to you. Yeah. Now, that's really, I think, an important idea to entertain because if something is seemingly hopeless to you, it's depending on the you that it's appearing hopeless to. Yeah. In other words, if it was a real solid thing called hopeless state of mind or body, it would be a hopeless state of mind or body. But everything here is given the meaning. Yeah. We give it the meaning it has. It's a subjective experience here. Every one of us is giving this day a different meaning. Some people have given it like if I, if someone hasn't worked all week, it's just another day. But let's say if you've worked all week, Saturday has to be chock full of really good things to sort of, sort of uh, equalize that you spent five days slaving for someone else's prosperity, let's say. You know what I mean? You want to have a damn good day today. So you may be much more intent in giving everything you do a lot of meaning in a Saturday than, let's say, a slacker would. You know, it's like, oh, it's another fucking day. It's great. Kicking around, surf a little, go here, go there. Yeah, it would work a lot better. So it's not any. There's not anything that's a solid, inherent thing. It's what we give the meaning to. Yeah, what we give it. So in recovery, it says it was. Why do you think they use that word? It could have said we've recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body, but he said didn't say that. It's seemingly hopeless, because that's the solution. Because when you when your mind changes, changes, what was appearing to be hopeless stops appearing to be hopeless. That's the whole point. Yeah. That's why in recovery, the diagnosis has to be by the person who has alcoholism. You can't be told that he has alcoholism because it's not going to work. It's, he's, there's got to be admittance to his innermost self, yeah, that he's powerless over alcohol and his life has become unmanageable. And actually, after a while, you forget that statement of life became unmanageable, and it says much clearer that you're an alcoholic and you cannot manage your life. That's a diff much better description in my experience, yeah? It's not that the unmanageability was caused by my drinking and using. I would like to have believed that, and I did when I first got sober. So I believed a lot of my rash behavior was caused by my cocaine use. But then after two years of being sober, that behavior kept cropping up, and I hadn't done coke for two years. So the story, tenuous as best, got blown out of the water. Hey, there must be something else. In other words, the problem that I was attributing to as an effect to drinking was actually the cause of the drinking, in a way. <laughs> 
the doing drugs was my try was my solution to alcoholism. I wanted to get relief from this unbearability or from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And if you were in a hopeless state of mind and body, you'd be open to buy almost any solution, wouldn't you? I would think so. So, all right, so it appears to be true or false to you. It appears to be true or false to me. So what, what's the best way to change that state is to change who's looking at it, yeah? If you change who's looking at it, then the state has a chance to change. If you try to change the state without changing you, it'll just morph into another variation of the same state, a bondage of self, yeah? So it's sort of like trying to find the horse and the cart and not sort of take it from ground level, but rise a little above and actually see in the bigger picture where the horse is and where the cart is and sort of letting, getting it correct, you know? So getting to see, like, for me, I would think it would be great to put another edition in the book called How It Works and describing how alcoholism works in a, much, in a very clear, distinct, brief way for a few pages, and instead of spread out over pages and pages, but to really succinctly put it together, then follow it with how it works, meaning the solution. Because if you don't know how the problem works, then what's going to be working the solution may be the problem. Yeah. If, it's, if, I, if it's true that it's not that you're being attacked by something called alcoholism, but alcoholism has jacked into a mental process that's producing this idea of being a self, yeah? And if that's, if that's the case, that if it is identification as self, then you may feel like you're the problem, yeah? Not that you have a problem. And actually, that's a damn good step in the right direction when you recognize you are the problem because when you take it a step farther, that's your solution because you're not the problem, yeah? If you really, really, if if it's if the real root of the activity or the problem is identification as self, and if you are not a self, there's your real solution. Yeah. In other words, instead of, all right, here I am in a failed system called selfing, and I'm taking myself to be a self, and I want to get relief from that system. I fall under the the category of self trying to get out of self. It doesn't work. Why? Why? Why doesn't it work? Why can't self leave self? That's what we're attempting to do all day. We have something called self that's driving us crazy. We may call it the thoughts or the how we are feeling. But there's still a sense that we're different than that. That we're some other self, like a much more authentic self or much more virgin self that somehow has got some of its like foot stuck in this other thing and trying to pull itself out. Yeah? And if it just found a good way to do it, it could probably rip its foot out and then it would be self would get out of self and it would go on self's merry way and everything would probably work a lot better but it says self can't get out of self because if you're not in something if you're truly not in something and and you try to get out of it yeah it would be an impossibility wouldn't it if you weren't in something and you worked really hard to get out of that which you're not in wouldn't that be an impossibility so we're saying the real the solution is not to vanquish self or 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 like kill self like it's an adversary, but to realize we're not that. Yeah. 
If we're not that, immediately your mind can entertain the next possibility. Hey, I can be free of it. Instead of trying to be free as it. Yeah? It's trying. It's like trying to change something's nature, like a snake's nature, into something other than a snake's nature. Yeah? So in a way, the solution in my experience is, if I'm not that, that's that. (laughs) Because the glue to me being obsessed with self is to think that all that activity about that self is about me. That's what causes my attention to not be able to leave that self. Because the attention has, it has been dictated to, it has been told that that's about me. And you better watch what's happening with you so that you can have some kind of a survival or some kind of advantage about what you need to do for you. Yeah, And it's very difficult to break that that tractor beam if, if, if it's still taken to be about you. But if it's taken to be about something other than you, you may lose interest in it. And when you lose interest in it, what happens? Your interest doesn't dwindle, it goes somewhere else. Yeah. And then what happens? You find out what it brings back. For me, it started allowing me to uh, travel in a, a stabilized manner of, tra- of lighterness, you know, traveling lighter. And that's all I really ever wanted. I wanted to have relief from the bondage of self. But I was attempting to get that relief as a self. Yeah. So it, was, it had already failed before I even started. All those noble movements away were just a part of being in it. Yeah. So it's like Cape Paul doesn't get shut down, but its audience gets totally diminished. Yeah? <laughs> My interest and attention realizes this lousy bum station isn't a really about me, and it just stops, it hears it because it's conscious, so it has to hear whatever's arising, or see or feel or taste or touch, but it doesn't need to listen to it, yeah? Because why? It's not about me. You want to, I always use this example because it works so well. There's a woman in the other room at another meeting that I'm interested in. I haven't told her I'm interested in her because I'm afraid to get rejected. So, but I want to see it. I really, you know, I'm thinking I'll have a baby with her. You know, getting married. You know. Of course, she's the one. You know, whatever. <laughs> number eight of the one, but the one this month. And uh, so I'm here, trying, supposed to be doing a talk, but my interest and attention is trying to listen to what she has to say, because I'm hoping she'll say something about me, like, hey, I really like that guy, Paul, you know? So I'm, I'm sitting here, and I'm doing this thing, but I'm not really here. I am here, but I'm not really here, because my interest and attention is there, yeah? And someone says, hey, Paul, you should be sitting in this room and doing this talk. I go, I agree with you, and I really want to, but I don't, I have no control over those dogs of intention, and they're going to what's more valuable or more meaningful than this. Yeah? That, that's going to save me. This is just another fucking thing. But that's going to save me. Yeah? And so someone comes and throws a book on the table. Hey, Paul, I think you should read this. How to Lose Interest in Conversations in Another Room. 
I, say, I read it, and okay, fine. I, I agree with all the concepts, but it doesn't help. Yeah, I'm still hoping. And suddenly she says something. I'm really into it now. And I hear, and she starts talking about a guy, and it's Matt. And my name's Paul. What happens? Do I have to drag my interest out of that conversation in another room, or does it just leave immediately? As soon as there's a recognition it's not about me, I lose interest in it, don't I? Apply it. That's a principle. That's a principle of mind. Use the poison as an antidote. The interest and attention has been dictated to follow whatever's about the seeming you. Okay? Try to break it. It doesn't work well. Yeah? Why not use it in another manner? Yeah? Use the exact same uh, evidence, yeah, but, but, but in a different way. Hey, if it's not about me, I probably won't have much interest in it. Exactly. Yeah. So when the thoughts in my head are held as thoughts, not mine, and or, and or not about me, I travel lighter with the same thoughts, exact same thoughts percolating up there as they were 12 years ago, but the interest and attention has changed, yeah? I haven't corralled my thoughts. They haven't been boot-camped into being good thoughts all the time. I just lost interest in them because they're not mine. (laughs) Just like I've lost interest in a lot of problems because they're not mine. (laughs) Just because I've lost interest in a lot of things because they're not about me. <laughs> I find it to be great. <laughs> because when I read these things, are you ever going to get to a point where you have no thoughts? Give me a break. Probably not. You know, you can work all of them as hard as you want to work and do this and do that. The overriding situation is, is activity, manifestation. Everything's moving. You ever just sit down? I sit down yesterday at this pond. The water's moving. The ducks on it are moving. The people hiking and, and jogging around it are moving. Cars are moving around the road. Clouds are moving. Wind is moving. Leaves are moving. Everything's moving. Squirrels, blue jays, everything's going on. Yeah, You're going to quiet the mind? You know how you really quiet the mind is you lose interest in it. That's how you really quiet. Like this guy says, to study the self is to forget the self. Because if you really study the self, if you really study it, you'll realize it's not you. As soon as you realize it's not you, you'll start forgetting it because your interest and attention will be withdrawn from that dead bank account. Yeah? And then it'll be dispersed, usually quite more wisely, and now your interest and attention, instead of being the fuel to the obsession with what you're not, it will enrich your life. Yeah? Not like five weeks from now or after you go through an eight, you know, a 25-week process, but right now, right now, the availability of the relief is right now. Not predicated on what you're doing or where you're at, but just based on the fact of what you are, which is conscious. Yeah? Just based on that fact. So it's more about seeing what you're not than trying to find out what you are. Because if you try to find out what you are as what you're not, you'll just find out what you're not and take it to be what you are. And it will go on and on and on and on and on. 
and you'll try to reach the authentic self, <laughs> thinking it's like you're going to hit it and it's going to ring the bell. Bing! I finally arrived. I guess how long that will last? You'll be moving again in a very short period, yeah? Mind is agitated. It's consumed with us with an agitated movement called selfing. Yeah? The desire to become and unbecome. The mind's moving in it all day, conditional mind. I'm trying to unbecome what I thought I was earlier, and I'm trying to become what I wish I would be. It's all baloney. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. And all it does is keep your it's sort of like it's like blips on the screen. Your little, your conditional mind just gets, see, you know, just caught by the little, like the shininess of the little mental jewel all day, yeah? blinding it to the whole picture. It's like we were talking the other day. Someone was, who is that, James, about the, the thoughts, the clouds, or the something? Clouds in the sky. Yeah, yeah. So, let's say here, if you're obsessed with self, right? The obsession with self is the dominant thing. What you're going to do is you're going to be fixated on the clouds. All the thoughts that tell you how you are, how you're going to be, how you were, how the world is, how it's going to be, how it was, yeah? And yet, when you're fixated on the cloud, the cloud, in a sense, for you, becomes the sky, yeah? You don't see the sky. All you see is the cloud. Your attention gets tunnel vision, and you miss the hugeness of the sky. And so, the cloud gives, is given in huge amount of inappropriate meaning because it's taken to be the whole thing. If you could have a little bit of a, a leavening agent to that event with the sky, with your lens a little more open, you would see, like it says in AA, there are no big deals. Yeah, It says, you know, you're going to lose interest in your little plans and designs. When you're obsessed with self, all your plans and designs are big. Yeah? But it's saying you will lose interest in your in the self and your little plans and designs because the, instead of the cloud being all there is, which is you, yeah, you'll see the sky. Yeah, that information will allow you to travel lighter as seemingly the cloud. Yeah. So the real relief comes from first recognizing that it's an imaginary problem. It's an appearance, yes? It's an appearance. Once you start there, then the mind immediately can start entertaining, hey, if I'm not that, I can be free of it. Not I can get better. Not that I, oh, I better get therapy for it. Or I'll, maybe I'll be able to have a three-month relationship or not act out at the next picnic or get parking spaces at the meetings, you know? None of that, but radically free from that, yeah? And then the third step, as it's presented, changes. Instead of turning your will and your life over to the care of a higher power of your own understanding, you have turned your will and your life over to the care of a higher power of its own understanding. And now that higher power, whatever you deem it to be, is downloading information not framed by your understanding. Yeah? So it becomes really revelatory. So things that you never thought could happen, because you had never even thought they were there, get displayed not to be so, and the space gets opened up. Yeah? And then a Saturday, which was only a way of trying to accrue value, gets to be a leisurely walk. You know? You can really enjoy what's going on around you finally.
You can be present because you don't believe you could be anywhere else. Did you have any trouble when you were a kid? I wasn't in an abusive situation, but when I was a kid, I wasn't looking for any you know, religion or meditation or retreats because wherever I was, I hadn't, I hadn't bought into the thought system that would keep telling me I could be somewhere else, so I was right where I was. I wasn't walking around my house thinking it was too small, that my room should be bigger, or my mother should be, she's ugly, she should be beautiful. I didn't see, all there was was love and, you know, immediacy and spontaneity. Because the idea of time, that, you know, while you're enjoying yourself now, how long can you enjoy it now? Because the mind thinks, well, will you be enjoying it tomorrow? How can you enjoy peace of mind if it's presented in time? You have to have a sense where, how can I get weaned off of all these things called time and this and that? Well, maybe get weaned off from the sense.